Welcome back to Radio Veritas, uh, Changing Gear, the programme, Thursday afternoon. It is 4.36 if you're making your way home. And thank you for joining us. And do stay with us. It's lovely to have your company and to be able to share something with you about our faith. Now, um, this uh, Sunday, February the 11th, the 11th of February, uh, is the World Day of Prayer for the Sick. So this, uh, and every year is the same, the February the 11th is the World Day of the Sick. And just to remind the priests in a particular way, but also the praying and healing groups, that now the Bishop's Conference in South Africa has issued two books, uh, which are basically rituals, if you like, that is, collections of prayers and services uh, to help the sick and to help the suffering and to help the people who are struggling in all aspects of life. These are quite substantial books. So there's one, for, especially one for the priests and deacons, and there is another one for the lay groups who are praying for the sick. Just to remind you, those books are now available. Now, uh, this Sunday... Uh, the Holy, the Holy Father, Pope Francis and the Church will invite us to celebrate the World Day of the Sick. Uh, right. Uh, now, we must turn our, even though we are very busy people, let us on this particular day just reflect upon the sick people part of our lives who are around us, uh, whom we meet, whom we haven't seen for a long time, who are in hospital, who are, and also those who are caring for them. Turn our minds, our eyes, our hearts toward the sick and elderly, towards the handicapped, towards the dying. Also to pray for hospitals and clinics. Uh, I pray in a special way for Deacon Makoka uh, from Temba, who is in Moulmed in hospital, a wonderful deacon who has done so much for the church there, and he is not well in hospital, and we pray for him today. Now, <clears throat> When we think of the sick, I don't know, many memories, many thoughts come to my mind. Um, I remember, uh, you know, working down in the Transkei, in, in, actually it was in Flagstaff Parish, it's a huge parish, uh, and there, there was a, a woman who uh, uh, was expecting a baby, and it happened that on a, sun, uh, on a Saturday night uh, she got extremely ill. And she was living at home in a little uh, ordinary house uh, way out in a village in that whole area. And uh, she knew she had to get to hospital. And so uh, she struggled and made her way to uh, a storekeeper who had a store in a rural area and begged him to drive her, you know, I suppose it was 50 kilometers uh, to a hospital. And... uh, He agreed, but he said, you must, when you come back from hospital, you'll have to work for me every Sunday for 12 months for nothing if I'm to do that for you because you don't have the money to pay for for me to take you to hospital. And so uh, for whole 12 months, that lady did not come to church. Every Sunday she had to work because of that one lift to a hospital. This is what people are experiencing around us even today. 
Uh, again, like you see, I remember that on the other hand, wonderful people also in the same area because they lived in very rural areas, especially in the 1990s. You know, before we got the, uh, the, the medication, got around to the country and the care for HIV people. Uh, I remember neighbors who used to carry HIV sick patients three and four kilometers to the nearest road across fields and uh, and woods to the nearest road so that a taxi could take them to hospital. The generosity of people helping each other. Uh, I also remember <clears throat> the story of you know, a, a visitor from another country uh, was visiting in uh, in the DRC and they came to a very poor hospital and there there was a young nun, a young sister, and she was looking after a very, very uh, ill person, a person with sores all over their bodies. This sister was dressing these sores so tenderly, so ge- gently, uh, looking after that person who was obviously in terrible distress and terrible pain. And the visitor said to the sister, you know, I wouldn't do that work for all the money in the world. And the sister replied, I myself would not do it for all the money in the world, but I do it for Jesus. And that is why, you know, the Catholic hospitals, you know, uh, at least the majority of them, and especially when they were run by committed people, people who loved Jesus Christ, had a special atmosphere, had a special spirit of caring for people. Because in looking after the sick, as Jesus said, I was sick and you came to visit me. I was in prison and you came to see me and so on. Because it's done for the Lord, it gives a tremendous sense of fervor, of seriousness, of gentleness and of care. And I think on the day of the sick, I, in, I would invite us to think about people I would call the hidden saints, saints who are hiding, who are hidden, who are not seen. By that I mean, you know, generally it is women and generally it is mothers and sisters and grandmothers and daughters who are at home caring for, you know, uh, someone who is handicapped in the home, someone who is blind, someone who is totally deaf, someone who is uh, unable uh, to come out. You know, uh, and these people who work day and night, who give up their whole lives, who are not able to attend so many functions, who have to remain at home with a very, very difficult situation with a person who is totally incapacitated for year after year, really and doing it out of love and with care. These people surely are the great saints of God. It's true, of course, they don't get recognition. Some fellow sings a song and he's famous all over the world. Some fellow scores a try in a rugby match and the the newspapers die after him. Uh, But these people uh, are there, they are hidden, and yet these are the great heroes of our modern world. So the celebration... Uh, is generally around this time of the year because, you know, in uh, in 1858, a little girl called Bernadette Soubirou in a village called Lourdes in the south of France went, she was a poor child, she went with her two friends uh, to a river which was quite dry at the time, with some little water, but she could walk across the stones, picking up stones to make a fire for their evening meal. And as she was taking off her shoes to cross the river, suddenly there was a great 
movement of wind and she looked up and there in the rock on a cave was uh, Mary, the mother of God, who spoke to her and invited her to come back a certain number of times over the next few weeks and she would reveal a message to her. And among the things that Mary asked her to do was uh, to go to the side of the river where there was some gravel and there to begin to, with her hands, to pull out the gravel and she discovered there then something she had not seen before, a little spring. And that spring became a powerful spring of water and today in Lourdes there's enormous baths with water flowing from that spring and there the sick people are lifted into these cold baths and um, every year there are there are miracles in Lourdes and people are cured you know in the almost 160, 70, 80 years since it happened you know hundreds of miracles, marvellous miracles uh, authenticated by medical professionals have taken place whereas tens of thousands of people perhaps who have not been cured physically who have gone there because between 4 and 7 million people go there every year uh, they all come back with a certain sense of peace and of joy a gift from Mary the mother of God now Bernadette herself uh, uh, she became a sister a nun uh, and as such she was not well treated uh, some of her superiors were quite cruel with her and hid her away. Um, uh, and when Bernadette prayed, she felt Mary, the mother of God, saying to her, I will not cure you in this world, but I will make you glorious in the next world. Uh, and Bernadette suffered terrible suffering connected with a TB of the bones. She died before she was 40 years of age in 1879. And today still you can see her body is perfectly preserved a uh, hundred and fifty years after she died. Her body miraculously has never corrupted. Now, um, uh, now, why did Bernadette suffer here? We can ask ourselves, you know, uh, she was the occasion for Mary and God reaching out healing and hope uh, to millions of ill people and the whole world, as I say, celebrates uh, the day of the sick uh, each year. Uh, and it, uh, it, it is occasioned by what happened to Bernadette in Lourdes. And, you know, uh, really and truly, this is one of the articles of faith that, you know, we, especially in Catholicism, we uh, emphasize very much. That is that we are one body in Christ. St. Paul tells us in Romans and in Corinthians, you know, that uh, we are, the body is made up of many parts. And so the body of Christ, uh, the mystical body of Christ, is made up of many parts. I'm speaking of Christ risen from the dead. And by baptism, we become parts of the mystical body of Christ. And if some parts of that body are strong, then the rest of the body is very much helped by that. We are one body in Christ. We make each other strong and indeed we make each other weak. That's one of the reasons for going to confession, to try and reconcile 
with the community of fear. Now, some people there in life, you know, the church today continues as the body of Christ. We continue the presence of Jesus in the world today. Now, some people uh, are called to a life of prayer. Jesus was a man totally given to prayer, and many people are called. That's their unique call or vocation in the world today, to be people of prayer. And all of us, by our prayers, are building up the body of Christ. We're helping people whom we do not know. We're helping people in other countries. We're helping people people who are suffering, who are in prison when we pray for them. We believe that and we know that. People are always asking for blessings and prayers. A very beautiful thing. It goes back to Jesus himself and to the apostles of the first generation. Uh, again, some people are called for Jesus, for the body of Christ, to a life of work. For example, parents and people who work for other people, they are Jesus at work in the world today. But then, remember, Jesus was a man of suffering. And some people, probably a smaller group, are called with a special vocation of suffering with Jesus. And if you are suffering, and if you are getting old now, and not able to do what you would have liked to do in the past, if you are lonely, uh, if you are uh, losing hope, if you are tired of being weak and being unable uh, to face life, you know, all these pains and aches that you carry in your mind and in your body. You know, I'm saying to you, uh, see that, uh, unite yourself with Jesus on the cross, the Jesus of Gethsemane, the Jesus of the of the scourging, the Jesus of the crowding of thorns. Unite yourself with Jesus and then your suffering become, becomes a prayer, just like we are called to pray for the world and for South Africa, for our people, so we can suffer for our country. We can unite our suffering uh, with Jesus. Yeah, you know, for example, I remember a story. There was a famous bishop in Germany in the 19th century, Bishop Kettler. Now, this bishop uh, uh, is very famous because uh, he, was be- he was one of the real pioneers in the church uh, in demanding that the church pay attention to workers, that the church pay attention to working conditions. You know, social conditions for workers in the 19th century, you know, when, in a sense, mechanization, urbanization, industrialization began to take place, the conditions of workers were absolutely abominable. And so many died at work, so many got very poor wages, most of them were dead before they were 50 years of age. So Bishop Kettler began to demand that the church pay more attention to the conditions of life of workers. And out of his inspiration, Pope Leo XIII uh, issued his famous letter on uh, social things, you know, how the church uh, must speak about trade unionism, about the rights of workers, about residence for workers, about workers' families, uh, and so on, to protect the workers, especially the poor in the world. That's inspired by Bishop Kettler. However, what I want to say about him is this. Uh, he was doing a retreat, like uh, Deacon Peto at the moment. Uh, Bishop Kettler, before he was ordained as a young priest, he was praying. And one night in a dream, he saw a sister, a nun, appear to him in the dream. And uh, he understood that this nun would pray for him and by her life strengthen him and his priesthood 
all his life. Well, he went on to to, 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 to to live a very holy and dedicated priesthood. He became a bishop and, as I said, got involved and was a great pioneer in the social movement of the Catholic Church and of the Christian Church in general. And right through his priestly life, he was always on the lookout for to see, would he see that sister whom he had then seen in a dream? Would he ever meet that sister? But he never met that sister. And then he became a bishop and, you know, after many 30 years uh, uh, later, he went to a convent. Now, in the 19th century in Germany, the convents would have 60 or even 100 sisters in one convent. And so Bishop Kettler said mass for them and he gave out Holy Communion. And then at the end of the list, suddenly a sister came forward and he said, this is her. He could remember distinctly, this is her. Finally, he had seen the sister who, in his dream, had been prom- he had been promised would pray and dedicate her life to his service. So after Mass, he had said Thanksgiving, he went to have his breakfast and then he asked to meet the community so that he could meet this sister. And there was about 50 or 60 sisters present. He met them all, shook hands with them. This sister was not present. And he says, are you sure? Are you all here? The mother superior said, yes, I, every, I think everybody is here. Then someone pointed out, no, but there's a particular sister who looks after the pigs. The, the, the convent had uh, some sort of a farm and where it supplied all its own needs to support that large community. And they said, no, that sister, immediately after Mass, instead of coming to breakfast, she goes down to begin to feed the great quantity of pigs they had. And so he asked, he says, I will not leave until I meet that sister. And when she came, he recognized this sister who had been, as it read, dedicated by God to pray for him. Her prayers, her sufferings, her labor. She was a non-educated sister. Her simple job was to look after the pigs. And uh, she was very holy and very prayerful. But she was uh, the sister whom God gave as his special protector. And so what I'm bringing out by this is that by our prayers, by our work, by our faithfulness to Christ, by our hope in God, by our love for others, we are are building up the body of Christ and so in a very special way insofar as we suffer and so many people when they get old they feel they're not able to go to church anymore they feel that they are not able to do the see so many needs in the world they would love to be up and doing them but they're not able because of illness because of weakness because of feebleness because of age above all uh, I'm saying to them Uh, You are part of the feast of Sunday. You, by your suffering, are praying for the sick. You, in your sickness, in your very illness, you are uh, building building up the body of Christ. I remember when I was rector in St. John Vianney Seminary, uh, trying to form young priests or young men to become priests for South Africa. I was there for quite a number of years. I used to always like to go to Lady Selburne once a month. Uh, which was a large community of Holy Cross sisters. And there I used to like to preach to them, uh, say Mass for them and pray with them. My reason in doing that, although I was very busy in the uh, seminary, had more than enough to do, I went over to those sisters because I wanted to engage them in praying 
for the building up of our new priests. In a sense, just like you go to the, you, you, you keep your money in the bank, you need also a spiritual bank, a place where you go, where people can pray for you and help you. And I always felt it was a great help. So finally, let me say, uh, to, uh, then this, uh, the 11th of February will be the World Day of the Sick. And um, the church has always been in the forefront of caring for the sick, rural clinics in South Africa, hospitals from the beginning and so on, in the mines where diseases broke out. And this is imitating and continuing the life of Jesus who spent his time healing and caring for people and driving out evil spirits. And we find the first disciples like Peter and John and so on doing the same thing, also St. Paul. Um, and so uh, that was the, one of the reasons because the pagan peoples came to the church. The Sarge was a church of charity and mercy. And we also remember Sister Renalda, whom the Diocese of Eshoe now wants to introduce, perhaps uh, that she might be regarded as a blessed for the whole church. She was a midwife in Nongoma Hospital for something like 40 years, delivering thousands and thousands of babies and teaching many young nurses to become professional midwives. Um, she, she always began her work with prayer. She was very professional. She was totally concerned and interested in every child. And she was always there whenever the mother and the child was in need. Sister Renalda, a great example of caring for the sick. Uh, Pope Francis, of course, speaks about, um, you know, uh, the church. The church itself, he says, is a field hospital. A field hospital is a hospital that would be set up in a time when Norman hospitals cannot deal with a plague or a disease or a war or, or, or utter destruction in a particular country. But he says the whole church is a field hospital uh, to welcome the wounded in life. Um, and the Pope, uh, in his letter this year, says, please, Church, please, Catholics, please, Christians, uh, shield or protect the Catholic hospitals from being businesses. Don't let them become businesses. Because the business mentality, uh, which will turn health care into a profit-making enterprises, that will end in discarding the poor. So Catholic hospital, Catholic nurses and doctors, remember, let us not make our healing profession uh, in the first, and priests, let me say it too, very strongly, and healers, let us not turn our healing work into a business, uh, making it a profit enterprise and thus discarding the poor. Yes, so we're lucky in South Africa and let us pray for doctors and nurses. Even this morning I was at the Little Company of Mary and, uh, and, and, and the wonderful nurse and doctor there were most kind and very caring. So we're lucky in South Africa to have this. But uh, certainly a lot must be done to make uh, hospital care ever more accessible to the poor. And really and truly, one has to support, I think, the initiative of the government and the present Minister of Health to make health insurance available to all our people. This is not popular in certain circles, but really and truly, I think as Catholics, we have to certainly support that because I'm alive today because I could afford to go and get a care when I was in need of care. I have done many funerals of people who are dead, 
simply from the fact that they did not have enough money uh, to get the care that they should be given. So let us, this Sunday then, ask ourselves, is there something I can do to visit lonely people, uh, to encourage old people? Let us notice those hidden people who are caring for a handicapped child in the home, who are caring for an elderly parent in the home and give their whole lives to that. These are truly saints. So let us listen now to the next um, uh, uh, hymn, which will lead us into discussing Ash Wednesday and, uh, and, and, and Lent. Uh, it is Crown Him with Many Crowns.